0: The climate scare is based primarily on the idea that carbon dioxide emissions from modern civilization are driving the world to a climate emergency. Politicians worldwide call the gas carbon pollution. Jay, does any of this make sense?
1: You know, Tom, it's beyond belief that it makes zero sense and how these evil people were able to con the majority of people in the world to thinking that carbon emissions from fossil fuels has any impact at all on the temperature of our planet let alone an impact that would have a negative for all of mankind it's sheer insanity i think it will come to an end i'm very optimistic i think in uh, about 3 years we'll turn the corner of people waking up Probably a decade before we bury the insanity, but of course we know these people will come up with another scare tactic because the leadership of the man-caused global warming con—they really don't give a damn about the environment or the temperature of the planet. They want to eliminate capitalism and install a one-world communist government. Yeah, that's what we're fighting. But I think uh, the public is going to wake up to it, and I'm particularly looking forward to our midterm elections, November 8th.
0: Yeah, I should tell you one thing interesting. I think it's probably the same in the U.S. One of our scientists met confidentially with John Baird, who was the conservative environment minister under Stephen Harper, and our scientist was talking, and he doesn't want me to say his name, but he was talking about the science to the environment minister, and the environment minister was sort of impatient and eventually said, science plays no role on this file (laughs) that that is funny yeah so my friend who was previously a member of the conservative party he came home and he withdrew from the party he said what a bunch of goofs he said why should i support them so i have a feeling that's the case all over the world we have a guest today. i think so yeah so we have a great guest today to talk about all of this It's Sam Horowitz, an educator and citizen climate researcher based in Cleveland, Ohio. So welcome to the show, Sam.
2: Well, thank you. It's good to be with both of you. (laughs) Great. Well, uh, Sam, we've known
1: each other for a long time. Uh, We met through uh, the battle of trying to undo the man-caused climate change fraud. And what I'm hoping in this program, that our listeners will be inspired by what you have done in recent years on your own as a citizen to battle this this entire fraud. Our listeners will become very proactive as a result. What brought you to be so concerned with the climate change fraud?
2: Oh, I just kept hearing about it and I became curious. And uh, I started to look into things I would I would attend conferences of the Heartland Institute, which was a very active in this area. And I just little by little learned about this topic. And it actually boils down to a very simple couple of true statements. Carbon dioxide, first of all, and maybe many people have forgotten this, at an early age, most likely in elementary school, most... Citizens that are of a, of a certain age, at least uh, perhaps let's just let's pick uh, 40 or whatever, were taught in school what the process of photosynthesis was and is. That's just a, a long name for the growth of plants and trees. It names the, the process that enables plants and trees to grow. And it's very simple. Plants and trees need three elements in order to grow. They need sunshine, they need water, and they need the gas carbon dioxide. Now, this being the case, and this being a widely known fact, it must puzzle a lot of people like ourselves who have become... (laughs) educated about this, or have not forgotten about the the uh, uh, importance of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. It is anything but a threat to humanity, which it is being portrayed that way by uh, condemning the carbon dioxide that is part of emissions from the use or burning of fossil fuels. Yeah, like is- calling
0: it calling it carbon pollution.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting.
1: You kind of described yourself and said that people who are 40 probably remember learning that in school. You know, I'm not even sure they teach it in school anymore because in the the last generation of students have been taught that man's emissions of carbon dioxide are destroying the planet when in fact it's the opposite. It's the molecule of life we could not live here. And I'm writing right now a a three-part series that uh, deals with the enemy idea of decarbonizing the world. If you were to decarbonize the world, then you have no more plant life, you have no more animals that live on the plants, and you have no more human beings.
2: Jay, let me just uh, interject a a comment. We all have to keep in mind That carbon dioxide has absolutely nothing to do with carbon. Carbon is a different element. It's that black uh, stuff that's in a pencil, and coal is is a a carbon based uh, fossil fuel. But carbon dioxide is something completely different. Carbon dioxide is a gas, and it is not only a beneficial gas, it is necessary for our very Survival. If carbon dioxide is eliminated, humans, animals, are eliminated, because plants and trees would be eliminated.
1: Mm, yeah, that's all true, and I think our audience is probably aware of that. And again, I want to get back to you. I'm hoping that dozens or or hundreds of people listening to this show by the end of it will be inspired by you to be active in the battle. So I wanted the audience to know a little more about you. What was your professional career before uh, the climate change lit a fire under you?
2: I was in the area of uh, sales and uh, you know, I was, I was selling uh, products, but this was kind of like a hobby for me, if you will. Um, and I tried to learn as much as possible about the topic. And again, it is not challengeable that carbon dioxide is necessary for human existence. Not only does it enable us to have food from plant growth, the plants also give off oxygen that we breathe. So the plants provide food that we eat, and they, it, they also provide the oxygen that we breathe, both of which we must have in order to exist. So uh, when, when you realize how important and critical to our existence that carbon dioxide is, it becomes almost hilarious that, you, know, there's people out there that are trying to demonize it, and there's people out there. That believe the false information that is put out by people who don't really want this country or humanity to succeed. Okay, this is exactly right. What was the first reaction of your friends
1: to your newfound passion? I'm guessing that uh, when you really started being proactive, you shared your thoughts with a lot of your friends and and neighbors or colleagues, what was their reaction?
2: You know, um, I didn't receive a great deal of feedback. In other words, no one called me or sent me an email saying, uh, hey, Sam, this is great. You know, I'm glad you sent this. You know, they they may not have been all that interested in it, not realizing how important uh, it is. So uh, I did with your help jay as you know come up with a couple of graphic illustrations one of them was an illustration sheet that clearly shows the sunlight the water and the carbon dioxide with a, a big leafy plant and the the big leafy plant is absorbing the carbon dioxide underneath uh, one of the large leaves and giving off the oxygen in, the, uh, in another uh, large leaf. In that one illustration, that tells the viewer uh, of the illustration that the carbon dioxide is very, very important. Now, the other thing is, well, how much carbon dioxide is in the atmosphere? If people are claiming that this carbon dioxide is impacting our climate, for all the good that, carbon dioxide does literally throughout the world, the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that can possibly be attributable to human activities or the burning of fossil fuels, it only occupies one ten thousandth of a part of our atmosphere. Now,
1: Sam, let me stop you right here because I want to kind of cut to the chase and make sure the audience goes back into AmericaOutloud.com and finds the article that Tom Harris and I wrote based on your work that has the diagram that you're basically speaking of. And that was an ingenious development on your part, which I assisted with. But you came up with the idea of making a chart that had exactly 10,000 dots on it superimposed over a picture of uh, the earth. And the chart shows the greenhouse gases, and it gets down to the couple little dots in the bottom right-hand corner that you just described that only one ten-thousandth of the entire greenhouse gas is from the burning of fossil fuels. And I hope that everybody listening to this show will go to the article, it's at americaoutloud.com and see that diagram. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to me, when you came up with the idea, I thought it was pure genius. It's many years since you did that. I haven't given a talk on the climate change fraud anywhere without showing that diagram. And you take one relatively quick look at it And you slap your forehead and you say, how is it that anybody can believe this tiny amount of carbon dioxide has anything whatsoever to do with the temperature of the planet? Now, I would imagine you were excited about showing the diagram to other people. Did you try and address groups and give talks about it? Did you have any success in that area?
2: No. Not really, although I could very well uh, do this to uh, address uh, small local uh, groups, but no, I did not do that uh, to any great extent.
1: Well, you made it possible for me to do that to very large audiences, really, which I I blew away because you you take one look at this 10,000 dot diagram superimposed over the earth and in the bottom right-hand corner. You see the tiny amount of carbon dioxide produced by the burning of fossil fuels that the, the enemy, and I will call them the enemy and they, the leadership truly is evil, is trying to convince everybody on the planet to stop burning fossil fuels and telling them they only need wind and solar, which would be you know, the end of, of mankind on Earth. Right. So let's talk about if you're talking to a neighbor, a friend about what you know, do you ever talk about uh, how this fraudulent idea affects the economy of the country?
2: Well, let me let me just um, make sure I uh, interject the, the following. Jay and, and uh, Tom, I've just came back from the CPAC conference in Dallas and uh, I approached a number of people there, many of whom turned out to be Republican candidates in congressional races. And when I showed them this evidence that we're talking about, they were very uh, happy and and enthused about taking this information because they could use it to challenge their leftist liberal opponent to show, that his side of the fence wants to promote that carbon dioxide uh, is something that we need to be concerned about. So that was the experience I had there. But and many of these, and many of these uh, people who I spoke with wanted the information in digital form. And I've done that. I've attached the, uh, the photosynthesis illustration and the 10,000 dot graph on one email. And Jay and Tom, I will send that to you. And I think it would be very beneficial to inform the listeners that they can obtain this information simply by requesting it.
0: Mm -hmm. And we'll include it actually under the podcast because we have references under the podcast. We'll include the link to our article that has those particular diagrams.
1: Okay. Well, now you have described, uh, you know, some very important impact you've had going to meetings such as the uh, the CPAC stands for uh, Conservative Action
2: Political uh, Action Committee. Yeah,
1: Political Action Committee. Obviously, they're mostly conservatives, and I know what you learned is that while they're not easily duped by the fraud, many of them don't really understand the science. And the science is so simple. You described it uh, so well with photosynthesis, the fact that plants give oxygen back into the atmosphere. It's all wonderful. And to think that evildoers, and I I now call these people evil. I, I think we got to call a spade a spade here. And the people trying to tell the public that the world is going to hell in a handbasket in some Number of years because we're burning fossil fuels, and they want everybody to move to wind and solar, which you know would be the end of life as we know it. it we cannot support our standard of living even a little bit with wind and solar. It's uh, it's quite wrong, and so the more people we can uh, educate with these uh, these simple facts, the more chance we have of winning the battle. As I said at the beginning of the program, we will win. I mean, this has been going on really for three decades for sure. Mm-hmm. Before global warming, they were saying global cooling was gonna destroy us all when the glaciers came down. When that didn't scare them enough, they changed to you know, global warming and then climate change. What is your first advice to our listeners to become a little more active on this issue.
2: All right, well first of all, and maybe primarily, we we have to first essentially transform our view of carbon dioxide because the media has portrayed it as a danger to our very existence when the exact opposite is true. So, we have to think of carbon dioxide as something that is essential existence and and furthermore what this means is that these emissions that have been criticized by many in the media these emissions actually because they contain carbon dioxide they're actually healthy and good for the plants in fact if you ever come across someone who owns a greenhouse most likely They are actually pumping carbon dioxide into the greenhouse since carbon dioxide is, in in a great sense, food for plants. So if we can transform the very image of carbon dioxide, the rest should take care of itself because people will understand that this is not only a huge benefit for us, but we can't live without it. In any way that we can to change the the view of carbon dioxide from something that's negative to something that is very positive, I think that will do what we're trying to achieve.
0: I think one of the things we need to do is to change the language. And that includes attacking conservatives who call it carbon pollution or carbon sequestration or carbon emissions, carbon footprint, carbon tax, all that sort of thing. I don't think we should accept that anymore. I think we should take them to task on it. What do you think, Sam?
2: Well, it it seems to me that, that if you change the view of what carbon dioxide is, these things that you bring up will automatically disappear because they won't make any sense in view of the of the reality that carbon dioxide is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like carbon pollution, that would be soot. I mean, that really is, it's amorphous carbon. It actually is carbon. So we, we have to challenge them. And sadly in Canada, at least the conservatives are talking about it as if it's carbon. So I think even the right, we have to really take them to the task on it.
2: Well, again, it's a matter of education. Uh, The use of the term carbon should be easily, we should be able to define it as as that it's not carbon. Yeah. Yeah. We should be able to eliminate, we have to eliminate the use of the word carbon because Mm -hmm. it is a completely false uh, characterization.
0: Yeah, it's right out of 1984. I mean, in the appendix to 1984, there's a 10 page appendix. It's really worth people going back and reading that. It talks about newspeak and how the government would use language to change the thinking patterns of the population. You know, war is peace and all that sort of thing. So that's actually what they're doing. They're using newspeak or duck speak you know, which is the higher form of newspeak. They're using that to help the population think the way they want them to think. So we have to challenge them all the
1: time. Well, you've made me think I've been spending a lot of time working in the wrong direction because I have to admit in my lectures and discussions, I tend to focus on the fraud and the fact that there, there is no science involved. And the emissions can't possibly affect the temperature of the planet. And I think I'm not spending enough time doing what you said, Sam, which is just talking about the positives of carbon dioxide. I mean, if I'm chatting for 15 minutes, I should spend 12 of those 15 minutes just hailing the wonders of carbon dioxide. So that's what my audience. Walks away with whether it's at a cocktail party, sitting next to somebody at a football game, or chatting with neighbors. You just now had an impact on me. I- I'm going to make sure from now on that 75% of the time that I spend speaking on the issue, and I'm this is kind of what I do pretty much full time writing and speaking. I'm going to make sure that I'm boasting about the wonders of carbon dioxide rather than the, uh, the evil of uh, people try to put down fossil fuels.
2: I couldn't agree more, Jay. That's exactly what should be done.
1: Well, it, it's amazing how you know you have continued to focus on this and just fighting the battle. Now, we both know that wherever we go and we talk about it, it's an uphill fight. Uh, As Tom talks about in Canada, it's astounding that even the the people in the conservative party have no clue. But it really takes citizen warriors like you. And that's the emphasis I want to make with our uh, listeners, that every little bit that we can contribute to the battle really for the preservation of mankind helps. We don't expect, you know, miracles, but Everybody has heard the saying that a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. And if a few dozen of our listeners right now would decide the next time they're in a social situation with their friends, that raising the issue of the importance of carbon dioxide in our life would be a very interesting discussion. And one thing I have found, when I have done that, that the next time I'm talking to those same people, it might be weeks later, and I will ask, uh, remembering our discussion about climate change and the importance of carbon dioxide that we had a few weeks ago, has your opinion about that issue changed from our conversation and that is a victory because I find nearly a hundred percent of the time that were willing to listen to me for five or ten minutes will very quickly come back and and say, you know, of course it's changed me. I had just I had never thought of it that way before.
2: I think also, Jay, concurrently with what you're saying, we should try to create visual things that people can understand immediately the the good part about the photosynthesis graph is that in a few seconds people grasp what that information is trying to convey or does convey with the the 10000 dot graph it's the same thing you don't need a long explanation you point to that one little dot in the bottom right hand corner out of all of those other 10000 dots that represents the uh, uh, carbon dioxide that can be attributable to, uh, to man's uh, burning of fossil fuels, that makes an immediate impact. And I would favor things that we could do to create more uh, visual things, for lack of a better word, we can, uh, for instance- Well, well uh,
1: a, a diagram that you have seen and I have used at times, is a uh, essentially a map of the Earth showing areas that have become green in the last 40 years. Carbon dioxide emissions that have increased since World War II have greened probably an additional 25% of the surface area of the Earth, and that shows on a map, and it's, uh, it really has impact.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the name IDZO, the, the uh, IDZO uh, father and son. I believe they created uh, some uh, demonstrations that show the, the importance of carbon dioxide. Like for instance, and I'm not sure if they did this one, but I can imagine uh, showing a, a two foot by a eight foot span of green plants and then showing that same span of green plants in a, like a greenhouse situation where we've pumped carbon dioxide into the, the enclosure for those plants. And we would be able to show that the plants that received this extra carbon dioxide, we could be able to show how much more lush and how strong, more strong they are and more massive they are. And right away, people see that what we're trying to tell them is the absolute truth, and they get it right away.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. That website is co2science.org, co2science.org. And they have actual pictures of the IDSOs, doctors, Zidso, several doctors in that family. And they show plant growth at different CO2 levels. And you can see the higher the CO2, the bigger the plant. So (laughs) that's a good graphic too.
2: Yeah, I think that that could be very valuable in, in transforming the view that people have of carbon dioxide because the, the picture is what sticks with people much more than the words.
0: Mm-hmm, exactly. Well, on that note, we're going to take a break. We're going to go for a commercial break. so we'll, we'll be right back with Sam Harowitz, an educator and citizen climate researcher based in Cleveland, Ohio.
2: Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers.
0: Visit GenesisFogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next.
1: All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulpitone iodine-based nasal spray, Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Copix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Copix RX banner ad on americaoutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OutLoud.
0: So we're back with Sam Harowitz, an educator and citizen climate researcher from Cleveland, Ohio. So, Jay, you had a question about tulips.
1: Well, I think people need to know that the idea of pumping carbon dioxide into closed systems, growing plants, has been going on for nearly a century. As most people know, the Dutch are famous for their tulips and They have been growing them in the presence of uh, 1,200 parts per million carbon dioxide as long back as as I can remember and uh, getting really awesome increases in the growth. Just as Sam mentioned, and Tom will have a link to it, the ITSO father and son team have done a number of studies growing all kinds of plants in different levels of carbon dioxide. And in every case, the more carbon dioxide, the greater the growth. It's the molecule of life. And so everybody, without a science background, we're not talking about math. We're talking about the wonders of the gas that allows life on earth. And for insane reasons it's being demonized as something bad when it's why we live here. And I mentioned earlier in the show, and I'll mention it again, I'm writing a three-part series of articles on the concept of decarbonization. It's a term most of you may have read. The enemy, the evil people want to decarbonize the world. They're really talking Decarbon dioxide the world, but they basically want to destroy all life on earth or at least bring the population to its knees so they run to government to save them. It's absolutely maniacal. And the simplicity of remembering or trying to remember in grade school when you learned about photosynthesis. And if you don't remember, you know, go go back to Wikipedia and look up photosynthesis. While Wikipedia is not always accurate, I can tell you for sure, it is accurate in very simply describing what Sam Horowitz described earlier in the the program. Uh, It's an extremely simple concept that allows plant life on our planet. It allows oxygen in our atmosphere and it's responsible for all life on our planet. And to take it away would be to destroy life. And it amazes me that these people can talk about decarbonization without audiences and citizens not realizing what they're trying to do is kill off the population or at least get them to a point where they run fearful to the government to help because their standard of living is being reduced by the elimination of fossil fuels.
2: And Jay, I, I also think that, uh, and you mentioned this before, if someone like myself, who really doesn't have, uh, has not been immersed in the study of science, just like most people out there, others who, who are listening to this can be Emissaries to spread the word that you and I and Tom try to spread around. But the point is that you don't have to be a scientist. You don't have to be, you know, uh, you don't have to go to, to uh, graduate school to learn this information. Anyone that uh, has just the, the the photosynthesis photo and the ten thousand dot graph would be able to convey to anyone else the substance of the facts that we are conveying uh, in this uh, interview.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think one of the major ingredients that people have to have is courage. They have to be brave enough to actually contest the Al Gore's and, you know, the Joe Biden's and the others who are saying this is carbon pollution, it's causing a catastrophe. We have to have people brave enough to say that's wrong, you know, And, and that I think is the main ingredient, quite frankly.
2: And will we be giving the audience uh, a way to get in touch with us so that they can receive this information in their email?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. All of our stuff on the America Out Loud website has email contacts. And just for people's information, uh, our homepage is icsc-climate.com. That's icsc dash climate.com and we always are happy to answer people and people can be kept up to date without even telling us who they are because in the upper right hand corner is a little window on that webpage, icsc-climate.com. Just input your email address and we'll keep you up to date.
1: There's an, an additional place they can go on behalf on my role as a senior policy analyst for the International Climate Science Coalition. I write articles every week uh, at another website called cfact.org, it stands for uh, Committee for uh, Advancing Tomorrow. And every week I write an article and I've been doing that for over three years. And if you go to the website cfact.org and you kind of scroll down, you'll find an article by me uh, within a couple minutes or within 10 different articles. And if you click on my name, all my articles come up, and of probably 100 I've written there, there are probably 20 or 25 entirely on climate change, and they're all very easy reads. Basically, I'm trying to explain what is really easy science that other scientists complicate unnecessarily. I try to make it very simple for readers. So. For those of you out there who'd like to follow in Sam's footsteps and do a little more in the battle against the evil people who are trying to destroy our way of life, there's a tremendous amount of material that can be absorbed, in addition, of course, to what we talked about here, the 10,000 dot diagram, the photosynthesis diagram, and another 10,000 dots just showing that... 78% 78% of the atmosphere is nitrogen and 21% is oxygen. And uh, there just is a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And both of those diagrams are in the article that Tom and I wrote this week at AmericanOutloud.com promoting this show that you're, you're now listening to. So There's an awful lot of very easy information out there.
0: Yeah, one thing people can do, it's hard to get past the gatekeepers when it comes to getting letters to the editor or articles published or getting on television and radio. But what you can do is when there are people talking about climate change on talk radio, especially conservative talk radio, is to call in because they have call-in lines, obviously, and, uh, you know, it's difficult for them to censor you out then, because you can get your point across before they even realize what you've said. (laughs) Another reference, by the way, is Climate Change Reconsidered, which is a series of reports put out by the Non-Governmental International Panel on Climate Change, and climatechangereconsidered.org, is the website to go to when you get tons and tons of information that shows that the climate scare is based on nonsense.
1: Well, I wanted to tell the audience something that I know Sam would strongly prefer that I not tell, but really uh, the impact of how hard Sam works uh, as a a citizen warrior. Uh, Last summer, Sam paid for a full-page ad Explaining the true story of photosynthesis and carbon dioxide in a newspaper, the Washington Times, at Washington D.C., and the ad is really fabulous and had a good deal of impact. But that's uh, one man really trying to carry the battle as uh, as far as he can. We don't expect many people to do that, but it just shows. Uh, how strong his commitment is, and if our listener's commitment is a tiny fraction of that, again, a journey of a 1,000 miles begins with the first step. I want to change the subject a little bit because I want to focus on the very same people that are trying to eliminate fossil fuels. One of the things they're doing is everything they can to raise the price of gasoline at the pump. Do you believe our high fuel prices, Sam, have been manipulated to be that way by our government?
2: Certainly I might suspect that, but I really don't have enough of the of the essential information, kind of like the inside information, to to speak confidently about that, that question.
1: Well, I think we do. I will disagree with you. It's interesting that uh, the public blames the current administration for a poor policy that has raised the price of gasoline. Uh, it's not poor policy. It's totally intentional. They've made drilling for oil and natural gas in this country, you know, basically off-limits. They've instead are buying oil and gas from Venezuela and and Russia when we have more oil and natural gas than any other country in the world. So they've stifled our ability to continue to use those resources, which had made us the richest energy country in the world under the last administration. So I believe it's absolutely intended. And I don't really understand why they would think the public will allow them to get away with it tom what are, what are your thoughts on that
0: yeah and i also want to point out jay that they've canceled the keystone xl pipeline from canada your closest ally well they then go to talk about uh, venezuela and perhaps even iran and other places supplying the replacement oil so i mean it's it's completely insane i think what it boils down to is the Keystone XL pipeline was a symbol. It was a symbol of the Biden administration's drive to stop the climate change, you know? And it made no sense of course to cancel that and then to go to Iran and Venezuela for oil. But yeah, I think that, I don't think Biden really cares one way or the other about prices of oil. And you know, one thing Jay and uh, Sam that I'd like you to comment on is progressives constantly talk about social justice. You know, they have to protect the poor and all that sort of thing. But then they enable policies that lead to massive increases in prices of fuel and other energy requirements, which hurt the poor more than anybody. So it strikes me that they're sabotaging the causes they say they hold dear.
1: Well, I think uh, the term liberals and progressives are uh, nice terms for socialists and communists. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, this whole thing really started 100 years ago with the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. And it really has continued for a century. And uh, I lived in uh, the New York City area when in 1944, the Communist Party held their annual convention in Madison Square Garden, a landmark for all sports at the time. There's now a new Madison Square Garden. But Madison Square Garden in 1944 was an icon of sports facilities around the world. And the communists held their convention there in 1944. And the head of the party at that time made a statement that they will take over America. They may not do it under the terms of socialism and communism, but they will do it under terms like liberalism and progressivism. But take over the country, they were totally optimistic they'd be able to do it. And to a certain extent, they're doing it now. Our government is ignoring the Constitution, is allowing an open border, is letting criminals free once they're caught. Everything they're doing is absolutely horrible. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and uh, in fact, we can use the uh, raid on uh, Trump's mar Lago, Florida home as an example of thumbing their nose at the law. But I look at it as perhaps a death rattle for the Democratic Party that will show up on November 8th when uh, the country goes to the polls in the midterm elections. We'll be voting on 435 congressional districts and uh, about 15 senatorial districts that are or senatorial seats that are currently held by Democrats, and I think we're gonna see a massive shift. I really believe the country is waking up and the climate change fraud and everything we've been talking about, the insanity of trying to make carbon dioxide something bad when it's all very good is is gonna play out on November 8th.
2: Jay, you you might wanna make a few comments about the impact so-called Green New Deal on this entire topic?
1: Well, the Green New Deal was uh, developed by a congresswoman. uh, It's now three years ago, four years ago, which lays out the plan to eliminate the use of all oil, all natural gas, and all coal, and install and replace it with wind and solar. turbines and solar cells, which for anybody with a modest IQ has to understand what do you do when the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow? And uh, it's the most amazing fallacy. Few people understand the electric grid that serves their, their homes and businesses throughout this country. And any amount of wind and solar that's added to the grid has to be backed up with more natural gas uh, or or coal to substitute into the grid when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining. So every bit of wind and solar that is added to a grid has to be backed up and therefore making the grid more expensive. Uh, a, A little science in electricity that most people wouldn't understand. But the electric grid that serves everybody listening to this uh, program must be stable. It must have exactly the amount of power coming in as power going out. And it can only vary by less than a percent. In other words, if what's coming in is off by a fraction of a percent or what's going out, is off by a fraction of a percent. Beyond that, the grid absolutely shuts down, and all electricity stops. Now, the people who run the grid are aware of these problems, and they're, they're watching it every second of the day. And if there's an imbalance, they have arrangements to cut off power to any number of industries or businesses. So they are aware of it. But if there's too much wind and solar that unbalances it, it collapses and you're all aware of what happened a year ago, February in Texas, they had a disaster. If it had gone five more minutes, it would have been the biggest natural disaster ever in the United States. And uh, this green new deal just thumbed its nose at an understanding of the value or lack thereof of wind and solar, and the lady who started it has been effective as a salesperson and convincing too many people in the country to believe that, oh, we don't need fossil fuels. We can get by with wind and solar. What's going on in Canada in that regard, Tom?
0: Well, they're actually trying to do the same thing, Jay, and it's sad because cities like Ottawa have actually decided that they are going to lead the world on climate change, and they're spending $60 billion for a city of a million people (laughs) to supposedly (laughs) stop climate change. And, you know, when Pat Michaels was alive, and it's sad that he just passed away, but Pat Michaels actually calculated what Ottawa's climate plan would do to global temperature Now he was a lukewarmer, warmer and we can say a few words about that but uh, he calculated that the impact of Ottawa going to zero greenhouse gas emissions and leaving it that way for the whole century would be about one ten thousandth of one degree so <laughs> if it costs 60 billion dollars And again, we don't agree with the the calculation, but still, if you use the UN's models, that's what you get, one ten thousandth of a degree. So to lower the temperature by one degree based on their models, which we don't accept, you'd have to multiply the $60 billion plan times (laughs) 10,000, (laughs) And I don't know how many quadrillion dollars that would be, but it's probably not enough money in the whole world. So even using their own models and using their own calculations, (laughs) we show that we simply can't do it. And, you know, Jay, just a few uh, weeks ago, the city of Calgary, which is smaller than Ottawa, has actually decided that they're going to beat Ottawa and they're going to spend $87 billion. So (laughs) Canada has gone completely loony.
1: (laughs) Well, now, where do they think that money would come from?
0: Well, in Ottawa, they're talking about charging $20 to everybody just to enter the city core by train, by car, I should say. They're going to have uh, increased taxes on ownership of cars. They're going to increase property taxes by almost 40%. So (laughs) Ottawa is going to become not the place you want to live because you're going to be spending almost all your money on taxes. (laughs) That's how they're going to do it.
1: Well, I can point out to our listeners the assumption that uh, the majority of them are here in the United States. If they think things are a little insane here in the United States, there's no question it's worse in Canada. And Canada, their prime minister is a total out-and-out communist who was essentially taking his seat next to the leader of Venezuela. Venezuela and the former head of of Cuba. It's really wild how a fellow, his father was prime minister, he got elected, and he's doing everything he can to destroy the nation of Canada that we have known and loved for so long.
0: Right, and the next thing he's doing is he's going to enforce a 40% reduction in nitrous oxide. And the only way they can do that with the farms is to reduce, sorry, 30% reduction. And they have to reduce uh, fertilizer use apparently by 30%, which is gonna cost them tens of billions of dollars in lost revenue. And you know, like Holland, where in fact they're saying a third of all the farms are gonna close, a third of all the private farms will have to close because of their war on nitrous oxide. This is gonna be devastating to the food supply. I mean. You know, Holland is apparently the second largest exporter of food. Canada is the fifth or the seventh, I can't remember. But you take all that food out of the distribution system to supposedly stop climate change, they're gonna be a lot of countries very, very hungry because of this. And we're going to see, I think, huge protests in Canada. It's interesting, the protests in Holland right now are even more extreme than the protests were in Ottawa last February. And uh, it's really obvious why. I mean, they're blocking complete six lane highways, setting fires to massive mountains of hay in the middle of their highways. You can see on the, on the video, and of course our media are not telling us about this because they don't want our farmers to do the same. But you can see on Twitter, for example, the farmers attacking police fans, okay, with, with sledgehammers. I mean, they are furious and they are much bigger protests than what we saw here. And that's because of the focus on nitrous oxide. And Jay, I got a question for you. You remember we had Will Happer come in and one of the gases he looked at was nitrous oxide. And what did he conclude concerning how much nitrous oxide was going to cause a climate catastrophe? I mean, he showed CO2 wasn't going to. What did he do with nitrous oxide?
1: Well, it uh, it pretty much comes right down to zero. It has yeah. uh, no no impact at all on uh, global warming or climate change, and yet uh, these terrible people want to starve the population. It isn't gonna happen, it can happen, but along the way, the public will suffer. Is the
0: climate scare the main reason they want to control nitrous oxide?
1: No, uh, the main reason is they want to make food very dear, uh, hard to get, they want it to be expensive, Because if you want to control a population, controlling their food supply would be number one. Energy is number two. They've already been doing that. And they now realize that if they can make it difficult to feed people, you will have people really crawling on their knees to the government, please give us a ration of food. They really want to create starvation up to the point where the entire population is under the control of government. It is totally evil. It isn't gonna happen. And in my view, it's a step too far. I think Mm -hmm. it's gonna be uh, the beginning of the end of anybody believing what these people do. Before we close, I've got some advice for everybody listening in. To the extent that you're moved by what Sam Horowitz has been doing in recent years to help in this battle, I think if you really care, you could spend two hours a month in some way educating people about the lies they're being told. Uh, it could be writing a letter to a newspaper. It could be calling a radio station. It could just be talking to your friends at dinner. But if you could spend two hours a month, that's not much. We're, we're going to turn the tide.
0: Hmm, I hope so, because that's the new war. It's the war against farmers and fertilizer. So, Jay, let's focus more on this nitrous oxide issue.
1: I agree, it's, uh, you know, farmers can't have decent yields of their grains without nitrogen fertilizer. It just can't be done. Basically, we'll be looking at food yields back in the middle of the 19th century, 1850, until we started realizing what nitrogen does to corn and soy and wheat, increasing yields, making the crops less expensive, feeding more and more people. We didn't have the ability to feed eight and a half billion people. We do now. And uh, the war on agriculture is definitely trying to take that away from us. We're about ready to close shop uh, in any case.
0: Well, that's great, Jay. So we have to wrap up now. Our guest today has been Sam Horowitz, an educator and citizen climate researcher based in Cleveland, Ohio. So thanks for your time, everybody. This is Tom Harris and Dr. Jay Lair signing out from the other side of the story.